This podcast is proudly brought to you by Sky Racing and Ingress, number one in its field. This is part two of our special podcast interview with former great jockey Steve Arnold. You got yourself on a terrific horse in the spring of 2010. You rode, so you think, six times in all for five wins, four Group 1s. Steve, you tell me he didn't have the greatest turn of foot you've ever encountered, but he could sustain his speed. He could carry it for a long way. Yes, that's right, John. Very lucky to get on that horse. He's... um Probably uh, Reg Fleming had a lot to do with that. He was Bart. He's Bart's. He was Bart's foreman down at Flemington, and got along with really well with him. And we worked well together. And he sort of pushed me to push for me to ride the horse. I don't think I was sort of the first choice, but um, when he come down and run in the um, the Memsey, I think he kicked off. Uh, I was lucky enough to get on him in that. And Joey Agresta was doing all his work, and he he said that day, you know, if. if if he if they can't beat him today, he didn't think they'd beat him that preparation, and he was he was bang on the money. He won that day and uh, improved after that. But as you say, it was a bit of a different horse. He 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 had a, a great cruising speed, and he was very strong. So um, my theory behind riding him was sort of he'd race in a, in a good spot, but then I'd like to make it a bit of a test the last eight hundred metres because I knew he could sustain a gallop mm. and sort of take the finish off the other horses. Um, that's the difference with those. With the really top grade horses, it's like your um, black caviars and uh, winks at this stage. You know, horses can sprint quickly with them, but they can't sustain it as, as long as the really good ones. Mm. And um, those horses, he could sustain a gallop for, you know, 800 metres, which really f- finds the other horses out. Well, that's what he did in his second Cox Plate win, Steve, when he beat Zipping and Who Begot You. He was right up on the pace all the way, and you forced them home. Yeah, that's right. It was, um, you know, a little bit of pressure going into that race. He was short price favourite, and um, uh, I, I sort of, I, I was, all I was worried about was, you know, getting down to the start un, un, unscathed and getting in and out of the barriers. There, the little things that you sort of got to get right in those sort of races because I knew I had the right horse if he, if everything went right for him. And um, once he stepped from the barriers, it was pretty straightforward. Um, more joyous, great mare of gays come across and led the race and I just sort of parked up outside her. He relaxed well in the race, which he could, you know, he could fire up a little bit, but he was pretty good in the run. And from about the 800, 600 metre mark, I, I ramped it up. There's a horse like who begot you, you know, if he was parked up on, on your back, he had a beautiful turn of foot and I didn't want it to be a, a sprint race home. You know, I want it to be a bit of a grind, you know, um, that was my horse's strength. He was a, a big powerful goer and um, I ramped it up down the side and sort of uh, put them under pressure. And to, to be really honest, I don't know if it was his best win ever. I thought it, it was a, was like a workmanlike win without being probably his best win for whatever reason. I don't know, but um, mm. it, it was good enough to, to get the job done. And I was very happy. Mm. One of his best wins ever was certainly the McKinnon stakes the same year. How good did he go that day? Yeah, he went beautifully that day. It was um, that was probably we all were thinking maybe Bart may go to the um, to the Melbourne Cup after the Cox Plate, but Cox Plate was his grand final. You know, we sort of thought, and then he he backed up in the McKinnon, and it was more the way race that day. He, he sort of parked about fourth in the run, and he 
he really relaxed well that day and just can it up and, and, and won as he liked. Yeah, one of his better wins and more so just the way he raced. He, he raced really nicely that day and kind and um, gave us a bit of – gave us a little bit of confidence that, you know, although he hadn't had the, the Melbourne Cup preparation – the furthest he'd raced over was 2,000 metres, so that was in the back of our minds. But that just gave us a bit of confidence that maybe, you know, his freak of a horse might be able to do it. Yeah. How was his demeanour and behaviour on Melbourne Cup Day of 2010? He could be a little funny on occasions, couldn't he? Yeah, that's right. He's a big exuberant colt, and if he got stirred up, um, you're in trouble, you know. So he'd had a he'd had a pretty long prep, and he obviously raced in the Cox Plate. Then a, that was basically, you know, probably nearly his grand final. Then a week later, he raced in the McKinnon. And then, obviously, the Tuesday come out in the Melbourne Cup and it had all just got to him a bit. It was it was raining and he got stirred up and mm. was having trouble just, um, you know, keeping me relaxed, even going to the barrier. So, mm. I was, to be honest, I was a little bit concerned. He'd sweated up really bad, which wasn't, you know, which wasn't him. And as I said, he got, he got stirred up. Um, he was only a... He was only a young horse. He was sort of um, born a bit later in the um, season. And um, mm. I think when he won his first Cox Plate, he was only really technically a two-year-old. So mm. he was a bit immature mentally still. So it all come a bit, um, become a bit much for him. He still run great, but um, pulled a bit in the run. Mm. American, of course, won that cup. Uh, and my lucky day was second. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, a couple of, couple of really good horses. Maricane, obviously one of the... The better winners of the cup, he um, he's he really liked that wet ground, um, and he's a really strong two miler. Whereas my horse, as I say, got stirred up down the straight the first time, didn't quite know how to get uh, rate himself in that in the staying events. You know, the tempo's obviously a lot steadier than the two thousand meter races that he'd been running in, and he just found it hard to rate himself over that trip, mm-hmm. and he pulled a bit in the run. Um, so one of his I think still one of his best runs ever was a Melbourne Cup where he uh, where he's able to still run third. You must have been very disappointed when news of his sale filtered through because you knew he had more Group 1s in store. In fact, he won another five in the UK. Had he remained in Australia, Steve, it's a pretty safe bet you would have stayed on him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it obviously had a great campaign on him, and um, yeah, disappoint. You know, from a from a selfish point of view, very disappointing when he was when he was sold. And I, I knew, you know, Reg and that they all and Bart. Obviously, you know, he didn't he didn't used to like to compare his horses, but I know he held him in you know really high regard and had him you know down in the top couple of horses he'd ever trained, which um, says something in itself. But yeah, from a from a sort of selfish point of view, very disappointing when he was sold because. We sort of knew that he could probably come back and win another Cox Plate. You know, I think he mm. he could have won the three. So uh, disappointing, but you know, I was really um, it was it was good to see him go and win, as you say, five Group Ones overseas. You know, I think he, you know, people sort of didn't think he went that well when he went overseas. But geez, to go over there and win five Group Ones, not a bad oh. effort. Well, he was your best result in the Melbourne Cup to finish third behind American. You ran fourth uh, on one other occasion on Pentastic. I think it was a fishing year. Yeah, no, it was actually um, Maccabi Diva's year. But, ah, was um, yep. He ran fourth, but he, yeah, he, he actually loomed 
he loomed about the furlong and a half and just give me a little thrill for a, for a sort of a hundred meters. I remember it was David Hall trained the horse and that's, mm. he, I'd locked in early to ride the horse and he got, he had 53 and a half kilograms, which was well, well below my weight, but I'd, I'd sort of set myself to ride him because I thought he was a chance in the Melbourne cup. Mm. Um, and he was like a pony to ride. He was really easy to ride. So I knew I'd be, I'd be fine on him and he drew a great, great barrier he drew inside and just had a nice easy run but he was a horse that would just drop his head and relax for you so I knew I could ride the weight and still be strong on him and he gave me a, he gave me a thrill as I say about the furlong when he loomed but mm. he just didn't quite see out the two miles and the, and the great mare went on to win win her first cup. We'll just pause for a moment on the podcast to clear a commitment back with Steve after this. The sale that has produced the likes of the Autumn Sun, Merchant Navy, Esther Jarb, Russian Revolution, Moss Fun, Pino, and Flying Artie in recent years has again attracted a stunning catalogue for 2019. The Australian Easter Yearling Sale catalogue is now available online and its depth and quality is again without peer in the Southern Hemisphere's Yearling Sale season. Among this year's spectacular Easter catalogue of 450 yearlings are 39 siblings to Group 1 winners like the Autumn Sun, Merchant Navy, Sunlight, Lankan Rupee, Brazen Bow, Shulls, Faulkner, Star Spangled Banner, Catchy, Dundeal, I Victory, Lucky Bubbles, Shooting to Win, She Will Reign, Seamus Award and Pino. There is also the progeny of 34 Group 1 winning mares such as Hasna, River Dove, Pear Tart, Our Egyptian Rain, Rostova, Steps in Time, Brazilian Pulse, Provocative, Headway and Dizelle. The 2019 English Easter Yearling Sale is just bursting with quality. Look for the catalogue online. You were in Mauritius for their season in the last half of 2017 and you got a hell of a shock when you saw that funny little racetrack. You got an even bigger shock when you saw the training track, which was on the inside of the main racetrack. Yeah, it's a it's a quite a unique uh, race course, very old race course, a lot of tradition there. But uh, when you first first arrive in Mauritius, you just realise all the, you know, the public, they just love the racing and you're uh, you're very well known there in, in you know even walking down the street. So to get there and have a look at the have a look at the racetrack, it's um, the the course proper is you know under under thirteen hundred meters around. I think it's about twelve hundred and sixty meters around, and the and the ra- and the training tracks inside that. So obviously <laughs> it's only about a thousand meters around. So uh, it's a bit daunting to go there and ride track work. When you first get there, and and even the race the race tracks um, takes a little bit getting used to, but um, the race track actually races rides really well. It's a bit uphill from the four hundred meter mark, which makes it Safer. makes it ride really yeah. well. Yeah, so um, I actually enjoyed riding there. Once you once you get to know the track, it's um, it's actually enjoyable to ride there race day, but uh, not so much the track work. Who were the Australian jockeys over there during your stay? So Ryan Wiggins was there. He um, he did he did quite well while he was there. And um, James Winks, he probably he sort of got me the job did in he? Mauritius. Yeah. He just said, you, you, "Are you interested in going over?" He'd been there the season before and thought it was, um, you know, he was doing well and and just suggested to me 
um, if I wanted to go over. So he he introduced me to my trainer basically, and um, he's rode for the Gudjadar Stable, who's a um, who's a big name over there and probably the oldest the oldest um, trainer, um, as in you know their their um, their background in Mauritius goes back for many years. So um, it was uh, great to get get the job with them and. James Winks was over there at time, and he did really well there. That trainer's name again was Rama Pati Gadjadar, and he obviously knew what he was doing. He won a lot of races, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. The tradition over there, they're probably, as I say, the most famous um, family and, and training set up over there. So he's been there a lot of years, and a lot of tradition goes back, and you ride for them. It's like, you know, they've got supporters. It's like riding for a, um, you know, a soccer club. They've got supporters and banners and, you know, all in their colours. So it's a, it's a different experience and I really enjoyed it. You know, there's some pressure, you know, they um, they expect them to win sort of all the time, which obviously that's never the case in racing, but um, they, were, they were really good to me and, and took me in and treated me really well. So, you know, I appreciated the, the experience they gave me over there and, Enjoyed the lifestyle. I was away from the family a bit, so that made it hard. They they sort of come and went a bit, but um, it's away from the family, which made it hard. But um, lucky enough to have a bit of success there, and um, overall, really enjoyed my time. Yeah, you won the premiership. Yeah, that's right. I won um, won the premiership and won a couple of the bigger races there, which um, their their main races is the Maiden Cup. It's called. It's um, it's like I suppose it's like their Melbourne. It's like the Melbourne Cup here for them, and um, it, it uh, the crowd's massive inside outside the course and yeah just a real carnival atmosphere and really really enjoyed that experience of um being in that and to be able to win it was um yeah big thrill are the crowds well behaved uh, i think i seem to remember another australian jockey telling me they can they can give you a spray if you get beaten on a favorite yeah that's right you could ride three winners but if the one in the last gets beat they they, uh, it was actual quite. Um, they used to give you, you know, um, a bit of a pay, but it was quite jovial most of the time. It wasn't, um, you know, it was not threatening most no. of the time. It was more of a joke, and they'd, they'd sort of say, "What times your What times your flight booked tonight, Arnold?" Because you know, <laughs> a lot of the jockeys, it's quite a volatile. Uh, place to ride, as in the, a lot of the jockeys get sacked over there, you know, from one day to the next. So, um, mm. yeah, the the crowd used to uh, stir you up a bit and they'd chant, uh, you know, if you're having a bad run. So <laughs> it, it took a bit of uh, mental strength to sort of shut all that out. And yeah. uh, But it, when you were having a good run, they were on your side. So um, probably like most punters. Yeah. So really it was a well-controlled boo and a hiss and that was about it. <laughs> That's right. It was um, even, you know, you'd have a little bit of banter with them sometimes because, um, you know, it was it was probably more a bit of fun for a lot of them. They um, even young kids would be um, giving out to you, but uh, more more so in in fun, which uh, I didn't mind. Mm. And Steve, how would you rate the class of horse on in the main uh, that races in Mauritius? Would you give me a track in Victoria uh, that you could liken it to? Uh, or not many tracks. As I say, it's only it's only twelve hundred meters around. So no, no not yeah, the not no. the track itself. I mean, the class of horse. Sorry, that Ray, the class that of Ray, horse. What, yeah. what would you put? Would you link them with a Tarang or one of those meetings in Victoria? Yeah, well, the horse I won the Maiden Cup on. He was he was quite a good horse. He was a high chaparral horse, well bred, mm. nice horse, and I thought he might be able to win 
I thought he might be able to win a provincial cup down here, mm. um, like a you know a, one of the country cups. I'd say he could win quite a good galloper. But then when you got down to the down to the rating twenty sort of horses, they were pretty, pretty moderate. They'd probably win win at the Jim Carners at uh, Burren Beat or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's take stock of your life in two thousand and nineteen. You're working full time for Macedon Lodge. And you drive there every day. That's not a short trip, is it? Yeah, no, it takes me about 50 minutes to get up to Macedon. But, um, you know, at this stage, I'm really enjoying it. Lloyd's been uh, Lloyd's been really good, um, letting me sort of go up there and, and, and ride work. I've got, a, you know, Stephen King's up there, Anthony Darman, and a couple of really good guys and um, really enjoy riding work there with them and obviously get to ride some, some nice horses and, yeah, I'm enjoying that at this time. Obviously, there's nothing like, you know, the thrill of riding in races and, and winning good races, but, um, you know, um, time stands still for no man. So uh, I realise that and um, I'm pretty happy doing what I am at the moment. I believe you don't ride a, a big number of horses work each morning, but you could be on them for a long time. Yeah, that's right. They're, you know, obviously, he's got the European type set up there and and that, that sort of thinking you know with the um the long more long sustained work Lloyd's got a lot of obviously more staying horses and he's geared towards trying to win a Melbourne Cup you know so obviously more sustained longer work and he hasn't got any time constraints on him you know during the day so doesn't have to be off the track because it's his obviously and, and and he can sort of we can walk around the hills on the horses and, and give them a really, you know, they have a good experience up there and just get their miles into their legs. And, mm. you know, that's how that's how Lloyd sort of uh, likes to do it. And obviously the, the re- results are there in the Melbourne Cup to, to say it's working. And you ride work every day with Anthony Darmanin, who has burst into the big time in no mean order in the last few weeks on board that magnificent filly from Tasmania, Mystic Journey. Now, you would have seen Anthony at track work at Macedon Lodge on the last Monday morning, I'd imagine. He'd be walking on air, wouldn't he? Yeah, that's right. We're all really, really wrapped for Anthony up there. He's a, he's a great fella and obviously when you're working with someone, it's good to see them have success. And we were sort of saying early on when he when he when this filly first came over and I think she ran in a 1,200 metre race at the Valley and she was a bit unlucky and run really well and, and sort of caught, a, caught our eye a bit and... Uh, from then, she just went on and kept winning, and uh, yeah, it's a big thrill for everyone up there. Um, for Anthony to sort of get the ride on such a, a good filly, and uh, you know, I, I think she's the best three-year-old uh, for the season. I know the Autumn Sun's a great three-year-old, but I think she's she's been the best three-year-old. She's going unbelievably, and that win in the All-Star Mile was was dominant and. Yeah, great for Anthony to, you know, probably in the later stages of his career, I think he's 35 or 36 years of age. So yeah. for him to get on get on a horse at that stage of his career and the owners and that to keep him on, I reckon it's great. But um, mm. we'll have to – he'll get a bit big for his boots up there. We we'll might have to check him a bit sometimes. <laughs> now, she'll be back as a four-year-old for the Cox Plate. If you had to pick a four-year-old mare anywhere in Australia – as the ideal type for the Cox Plate, it's Mystic Journey. Exactly right, John. You know, she's still only a, a, a light little filly, so you think she's going to mature up a little bit more 
um, with the with the break, and he's doing a great job with her. Adam Trinder. He seems to know his horses very well, and you know he's, he hasn't forced her. He's given her you know nice gaps between runs, and I'd say she'd do well with a break. And she she flies around the valley. She's won the mile race there, so. Yeah, geez, if it, you know, I'd say she'd be she'd be high up in the market with the with the great mare not going there this year. It looks the prime time for her to be, you know, be the one to beat. I'd say. Yep, and you would think it's highly unlikely the autumn sun will be around that long. I wouldn't think so. No, you know, with the with the you know, unfortunately, it was sort of. Uh, the money those horses are worth, they're, they're sort of too valuable to, to take any risk, I suppose is the way to put it, mm. um, in a four-year-old year. So I think they, you know, they usually usually take the option and put them to stud because, as I say, they're worth such big money. Well, you and your wife, Kate, Kate are very, very busy bringing up three boys. Indy, who's 12, Marley is 11, and Taj is 10. You know, the modern-day names of young people, Steve, is a source of astonishment to me. I mean, I grew up in an era when, you know, the three little kids up the road were Harry, Bert and Cecil. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly, It's it's changed so much. Indy, Marley and Taj. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's changed a lot in there. Obviously, even now they're sort of a bit different names. You know, this, uh, they're obviously not traditional names, but you find once you have the have the kids, they they really grow into their names, and you know they yeah. just become real little individuals. And yeah, they keep us busy. My my wife does a great job. She works, and then she, you know, basically runs the the household, I suppose. And she yeah, she does an incredible job with the boys. And you know, it's it's gives us a lot of joy just to watch them every day you know go through go through the the stages and um yeah really enjoying that um at the moment and probably you know that time i spent in mauritius um that's that's the part i missed and i just sort of you know made the decision that you know i want to be sort of uh fully part of of the boys and uh that's sort of the the reason to come home and sort of uh quieten down a bit so uh yeah we're really enjoying it if i had to pick an ex-jockey uh, who I felt had the right temperament, uh, the right attitude, the right knowledge and the right affinity with horses to make a very good trainer, it would be Steve Arnold. Has it ever crossed your mind? Yeah, I, I love the idea of training, uh, John, as in um, just to prepare a horse. I think, um, you know, it's it's what I've been with all my life and and obviously I love the, love the process, you know, um, I got a little bit of a feel for it in Mauritius, whereas you work you work very closely with the trainer, and you've got a lot to do with the preparation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that gave me a little bit of a taste of it, and the training side of actually training a horse, I, I really enjoy, and 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 I'd probably love to do. But it's just that um, the commercial side I find hard. You know, the um, getting the owners and the PR side of things, and the sales, and trying to compete with the you know with the big guys, I think would be would be difficult, but uh, I wouldn't rule it out at some stage that um, I'd uh, saddle one up and, and, and have a go, but um, at this stage, uh, not. Not on the agenda? Not not in the short term, no, but uh, you never know. I, as I say, the, the process of training a horse I, I really enjoy, but um, the other side of it, I don't know how I'd go at. You know, Len Beasley used to say, Steve, that he had the mind of a jockey inside the body 
of a rugby league halfback. And I guess that applies to S. Arnold in many ways. But in the time you were there and uh, with the opportunities being as restricted as they were because of weight problems, you left an indelible mark. Good job. Well done. And it's been an absolute delight to talk to you on the podcast. Likewise, John. I really enjoyed um, hearing from you and um, great to share my story. And um, as I say, great to hear from you and I really appreciate it. We'll catch up in the near future, Steve. Look forward to it, John. And this podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. The sale that has produced the likes of the Autumn Sun, Merchant Navy, Estajab, Russian Revolution, Moss Fun, Pino, and Flying Artie in recent years has again attracted a stunning catalogue for 2019. The Australian Easter Yearling Sale catalogue is now available online and its depth and quality is again without peer in the Southern Hemisphere's Yearling Sale season. Among this year's spectacular Easter catalogue of 450 yearlings are 39 siblings to Group 1 winners like the Autumn Sun, Merchant Navy, Sunlight, Lankan Rupee, Brazen Bow, Shulls, Faulkner, Star Spangled Banner, Catchy, Dundeal, I Victory, Lucky Bubbles, Shooting to Win, She Will Reign, Seamus Award and Pino. There is also the progeny of 34 Group 1 winning mares such as Hasna, River Dove, Pear Tart, Our Egyptian Rain, Rostova, Steps in Time, Brazilian Pulse, Provocative, Headway and Dizelle. The 2019 English Easter Yearling Sale is just bursting with quality. Look for the catalogue online. <laughs>